Last week, Pastor Sundar talked about our purpose statement, and uh, we've been debating whether to call it purpose statement, mission statement, or vision statement, so we've settled on calling it a purpose statement. So I'm going to be using the word purpose statement, and uh, if the, by the slip of tongue the vision statement or mission statement comes up, just forgive me for that. If you have missed last week's uh, sermon, I would strongly encourage you to listen to it. Uh, better still, if you can watch the uh, sermon on video, because there are a few slides that Pastor Sundar used, which will give clarity to you. Our purpose statement is connecting Rexdale to Jesus and his mission. Let's look at the pictorial representation of this purpose statement. Just summarizing last week's sermon, we see in the middle box, the green box, it represents the faith community, that is you and me, who have chosen to call this our church immaterial of where we come from. And this represents the faith community. And the red box to the left of you uh, represents the neighboring community. And the neighboring community has two uh, aspects to it. Those that are living in the five-mile radius of 2459 Islington Avenue, and also those neighbors who demographically are part of our neighborhood, whether we live in Mississauga or Brampton, and those whom we work with. Jesus gave a beautiful definition of who our neighbor is and in what we know as the, the Good Samaritan story. And by definition, in that story, our neighbor is anyone who is in need who comes across our path. So, as from the faith community, we move into our neighboring community in connecting them to Jesus, and as they come back to the faith community... We connect them to the body of Christ as well as to Jesus. And the third dimension of this is the global community in which we are engaged. And this global community has both the national and the international aspect to it. And the national aspect to it uh, is done by many of our national workers, whether in Toronto or in short-term missions in northern Ontario. And our global community includes those of our international workers that are working in various parts of the world, including some of those, some of our people who go on short-term missions. And when our international workers come back to the faith community to be recharged, to be energized, it is our responsibility as part of the faith community to come alongside of them as they get renewed or they transition back into the Canadian uh, uh, workforce. And I'm afraid this is one area we have failed in not coming alongside of our international workers or short-term missionaries when they come back to Canada. And if you have been long enough at Rexdale, you know that there's only two types of people in the faith community, those who go and those who send. The goers or senders, there's no place for people to sit on bleachers. We, those of us who are senders, we give financially to the Global Advance Fund, and thereby financially we are participating in their ministry. We pray for them, we interact with them on a regular basis by sending emails, remembering their birthdays or their children's birthdays. So by and large, this is our uh, purpose statement, and this is how it really fits in both our faith community our interaction with our neighborhood, neighboring community, and our engagement with the global community. So you might really be wondering, so what is the new thing that Chris is going to say today? We have already heard all about it. And this morning, I want to focus on the seven-word purpose statement and focus specifically on the verb in this uh, purpose statement. And if you remember your grade seven uh, English, 
you know that a verb is a word that conveys action in a statement. And the verb in this uh, purpose statement is connecting. And uh, Tim did not know that I was going to talk about connecting. And uh, this is how the Holy Spirit led him to talk about connecting as well. So I'm going to be talking about the verb connecting. And there are three aspects of connecting that I would be focusing on. How Jesus connects with those who are outside the faith community. And all of us who are in the faith community, at some stage in our lives, belong to this category of being alienated from uh, Jesus. And Jesus connected us, connected with us to himself. Then I'm going to be talking about how do we or should we connect with our guests when they come to visit us in the faith community. And then I'm going to focus on how do we who are part of the faith community connect to Jesus or stay connected to Jesus. So let's start off with Jesus connecting with those who are outside the faith community. Since it's all about connecting to Jesus, let's start with Jesus. Of all the stories in the New Testament where Jesus connected with different people, I've chosen the story of his encounter with a Samaritan woman and how he connected with her and transformed her. Just to give you the context of the story in which Jesus met the Samaritan woman, Jesus faced hostility by the religious and the political hierarchy in Judea. And he left Judea and he was on his way to Galilee. And most Jewish people avoided going through Samaria, although it was a shorter route, because of centuries-old feud that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. But Jesus chose to go through Samaria. And as we saw in the video, his disciples had gone to get food. Jesus was tired. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was thirsty. He was seated at the, by the well of Jacob. And the Samaritan woman came, and lonely and thirsty, and Jesus began to connect with her. Let us look at the connecting steps that Jesus used in connecting with this woman. One of the outstanding features of the connecting stuff Jesus used is the importance he placed on individuals. In the previous chapter, John third, uh, John's Gospel third chapter, Jesus was interacting with and connecting with a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, and an erudite man called Nicodemus. In the fourth chapter, just a few verses down, now Jesus was connecting with a Samaritan woman who was a member of a hated community because she belonged to a mixed race between the Jews and the Gentiles. And she also was known to be living a sinful life. And she was meeting Jesus in a public place and no respectable Jewish man would be interacting with such a woman in a public place. But Jesus treated her with love, with respect, and with dignity. And Jesus' interaction in this story underscores for us that we value people immaterial of their race or social status. And that we never despise people even though we might disagree with their lifestyle. And the second approach that Jesus took in connecting with this woman is something that is very basic. He started the conversation where this woman was. Remember this woman came to fetch water. And she came alone at at our time. And all of us who are living in the North American context probably uh, need some explanation about this. Because a greater part of the world, people do not have running water. 
Either they go to a public tap where water is released at a specific period of time, sometimes midnight hour for an hour or two. Or in rural areas where most of the uh, population lives, they either go outside of the village to a well or to a lake to fetch water. And that's the context that this woman was, uh, uh, had come to collect water. And Jesus, breaking all the norms and cultural barriers, started conversation with this woman, speaking of thirst and water, specifically and precisely what she had come to the well for. Initiating the conversation and saying, will you give me a drink? And I find it really interesting, a few chapters down in John's Gospel, 7 chapter, 37th verse, Jesus, on the great, on the last and the greatest day of the feast, he stood in the middle midst of the crowd, and in a loud voice said, let anyone who thirst come to me and I will give him water. So he who was the fountain of water to quench the thirst of mankind was now thirsty, or using the phraseology that this woman could understand and relate to in initiating a conversation. The third step that we, that we see that Jesus used in connecting to this woman is that he engaged in conversation through personal interaction. So it was not just a one-line interaction that he had just uh, uh, out of pleasantries, but he continued to engage in interacting with this woman. And uh, as we have seen in the video and we read in uh, the fourth chapter, uh, Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor have to come here to draw water. And the following six verses, the conversation continues. And Jesus began to continue this conversation, even though he was tired and hungry. Are we willing to continue conversations, engage in conversations through personal interactions with people that God brings along our path? And Jesus also asked a penetrating question in getting to the heart of the matter. And you've seen the reaction of the woman in the video. When Jesus said, go call your husband and come here, the woman answered, I have no husband. You are right, Jesus said, when you said you have no husband. The fact is, You've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Jesus asked this penetrating question. You know, dear brothers and sisters, the Bible says that we as his children have his spirit. And by revelation, we can ask those penetrating questions to the people that God brings into our path in connecting them to Jesus. And just on Friday, as I was finalizing this sermon, I got really excited that not only the connecting steps that Jesus used had to do with connecting this lost individual to himself, but it had a community component as well. Because Jesus is connected through this woman to the community. So the woman left her water pot and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And they persuaded him to stay for two more days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know 
that this indeed is the savior of the world. See the progression of how when a woman was connected to Jesus, when an individual was connected to Jesus, she in turn connected her entire community to Jesus. You know, these connecting steps that Jesus used to connect someone who was lost to himself are so relevant today. And we don't have to be evangelists or gifted evangelists to be applying these steps in our daily interactions as we connect to people that God brings our path. All we have to do is value the individuals, meet them at their place of need, engage in conversations resulting in personal interaction, and ask penetrating questions, being sensitive to the Spirit of God. Some time ago during a a a brief 10-minute break that I had given to the students in a three-hour lecture, one of my students got fascinated by the complexities of the uh, human body, and he came to be really excited that the evolutionary process had been so efficient in evolving these superhumans. So I, I... I, I talked to him based on the statement he, was, he had made of how he was intrigued by the complexities of the human body. And I said to him, well, I believe that uh, we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God uh, by our creator. Then I went on to give to him a one-minute version of a 10-hour lecture of a particular system. I said to him, uh, well, of the five liters of blood that we have is filtered Uh, 65 times in a 24-hour period by over 3 million microscopic structures in the kidney, producing 180 liters of filtrate. 99.5% of that filtrate is reabsorbed. Only 1.5 liters of that filtrate is excreted from the body in the form of urine, ensuring that all of the metabolic waste are removed from the body. He just was standing there, and I said, Do you think all of this happened through evolution? And we had some fascinating conversations after that. He would come to my office. For hours he would sit down. And I had the privilege of even inviting him to Rexdale for a Christmas uh, uh, banquet service. He was a Jewish young man who was on search uh, for Jesus. And this doesn't have to happen only in the context of a teacher-student. It happens in the context of a, in our corporate world as well, in our interactions. Recently, I was talking to a friend of mine from this congregation. We were having lunch, and he talked to me about, unbeknown to him, he was using the same four steps, connecting steps that Jesus has used with two or three of his colleagues. And they were coming to get to know the Lord, and they were getting more inquisitive. And just two days ago when I talked to him on Thursday night, he said, Oh, thank you for those conversations. I've been talking to one of my friends using some of the the input I got from another believer. And God is just doing amazing things. It's certainly not where it needs to be, but it has come long ways from where it has. The conversations keep continuing. So dear brothers and sisters, surveys suggest that whether in a small or a large church, in a rural or an urban church, a personal invitation to church has a 15% response rate compared to a 0.75% response rate by uh, public announcements, including bulletin announcements or dropping of flyers uh, in in the uh, mailbox. So do we want to engage in the community that God has placed us so that we can connect them to Jesus. How do we connect our guests who come 
whom God brings to 2459 Islington Avenue, both to Jesus and to this community. When our guests come to our services, we want to make them feel welcome. We need to be ready to befriend them. Gary McIntosh and Charles Arne, two professors of theology who have interest in church growth, had this to say. Survey results from churches, regardless of denominational affiliations, attractiveness of facilities, eloquence of preacher, breadth of programs, quality of music, visitors seem to be most impressed with one thing, friendliness. Translated into layman's terms, more conversations equals friendly church. Few conversations equals unfriendly church. And Macintosh and Arne, they developed a visitor rating scale for guests. And they tested uh, this this, uh, rating scale on several churches, large and small churches. And this is what they found. A smile of welcome in a church to a visitor equals 10 points. A word of greeting equals 10 points. Exchange of names equals 100 points. Invitation to return, and this is not by the pastor or the board member or the deacon, this is by congregants, equals 200 points. Introduction to another member in the congregation equals 1,000 points. Invitation to meet the pastor, 2,000 points. And the results that they obtained startled them. What they found was 11 out of 18 churches that they had surveyed scored less than 100 points. And five of these churches scored less than 20 points. I wonder what our score will be, what our guests will score us. Whatever our score is, we can certainly make an impact on individuals that God brings to our community by connecting them to Jesus, primarily through a hospitable spirit. And the hospitable spirit starts right in the parking lot when they arrive. When our parking lot attendants greet them, send them inside, or bring them to the door if they have children, uh, direct them to the family ministries. And speaking of parking lot, you know, one of the challenges that most churches fail is the constraints of a parking lot. We We have about 140 parking spots about seven additional uh, handicapped parking spots, and if you're brave enough to park closer to the ravine, another seven spots. So a total of 154 spots. Right? And that doesn't really uh, take care of all of our needs, particularly for our Sunday congregation. Many of you have been parking on the side streets across the street or at TCI, and we thank you for that. Could it be that one of the acts of our hospitable spirit that we who belong to the faith community Make it our regular practice to park off campus so as to make our parking spots available to our guests and those with the physical need and those with small children. An observation was made a few months ago that around 11.15 or so, uh, about 12 cars drove into the parking lot. Within five minutes, 10 of those cars drove out, made a left heading down to, uh, uh, on Islington Avenue. Presumably, presumably, they didn't find a parking lot and they were heading home. Only two cars made a right going north on Islington and making a left, presumably, on Fort Wish to park there. So 10 out of 12 cars that had come 
closer to 11.15 for the 11, 11 o'clock service, not finding parking lot, uh, parking spots had left. So it's a challenge for the 9 o'clock service as well as for the 11 o'clock service. So may God enable us to be exhibiting a, park, a hospitable spirit uh, and as God leads us and guides us, gives us strength to park off campus. Pre-service four-year interactions are very important as we exhibit a, a, a hospitable spirit. It's so normal and common for us to see individuals who are coming for the first, second, third time. They could be potentially lost. This is the first time they've come to a new facility. When we find somebody that we don't recognize, someone we don't know, someone who seems lost, or someone who is alone, starting a conversation with them, and interacting with them, and thereby connecting them to ourselves, to the faith community, and to Jesus as well. Post-service engagement is so important. As people sit beside us, I was hearing a story, I heard a story of someone who said that when they first came to Rexdale, uh, they came, sat here, fearful, confused, and all thoughts of, a myriad of thoughts going through their mind, because they were never used to worshipping God in a large church, in a strange setting, with loud music or different kind of music. And they were waiting to just, for the service to finish and move out. And just as the service finished, someone who was sitting in front of her, turned around and said, hi, my name is. And that changed the course of their path. Twenty years later, they are serving members of this church. So we are here in the faith community to show a hospitable spirit to those that are coming and are not connected either to Christ or to this faith community so that we can connect them. We have the welcome center. And you can find, uh, when you find somebody whom you don't recognize, it's their first service, you can come with them to the welcome center, have the coffee and cookies. And you don't have to be the first time visitor to come to Welcome Center. Perhaps you've been coming here for uh, six months or, or nine months and don't, have not connected with anyone. Come to the Welcome Center to get connected with people. You can go to the cafe downstairs. The only favor that we ask you, if you come to the nine o'clock service and want to go to cafe, make sure that you park your car off campus so that the eleven o'clock people will have a parking spot and you'll bless them with that. And we have made arrangements with the Swiss Chalet on uh, Rexdale Boulevard for a 15% discount that all the Rexdaleites would get. And the, you can pick up the coupons at the welcome desk. And similarly, a 15% discount on Mr. Sub on his LinkedIn as well. So you can have conversations, follow-up conversations after the service in these places. And if you're bold enough, you can even invite them for coffee or tea. I remember very distinctly, it was uh, May 18, 1997. We were in the church just for a couple of uh, months at that time. It was a long weekend, Victoria uh, Day weekend. We were sitting right there, and there was a couple sitting about four or five seats away from us. And just in the middle of this, uh, uh, the singing, uh, the lady, Yvonne Bram, she handed a small note to my wife, Phoebe. And in the note, it said, well, we were feeling very down at that time. We didn't have any plans for the long weekend. And she handed a note, do you want to come for some coffee and uh, cake? And of course we said yes, and that's one evening we got connected to a Rexdale family. We got to hear about the DNA and the history of Rexdale. And subsequent to that, there were so many of you uh, whom we have been able to connect. But the question I have is, how many are there who are coming and are leaving without being connected because we are not exhibiting a hospitable spirit? 
as far as the purpose statement is concerned, we would love to get your input. We want your feedback. We want your criticism. We want your suggestion. We want your involvement. And in a two 35-minute sermons, we cannot really do justice. So we want you to avail of the vision at rexdellalliance.ca email. Email us, and we will find a forum to address all the concerns and suggestions that you have. But we would love to hear from you. So if you can get back to us, any suggestions that you have, or even positive excitements that uh, is percolating in your heart as you listen to this purpose statement, not only for the church, but for individuals as well. And how do we, who in the faith community, get connected to Jesus or stay connected with Jesus? I recently heard a few months ago that someone who has been attending a church in Toronto for about 60 years made a commitment to the Lord just last year. So it is quite possible that we can be part of the faith community, but have never crossed that line of faith. And perhaps today is the day when you feel, I really need to be connected to Jesus. And someone said, you know, missed heaven by 12 inches. Because you've got everything in the head, but you haven't really let it get get into your heart. And the distance, if you measure between head and heart, is 12 inches. So you can miss heaven by 12 inches because you have not allowed the mental cerebral things to have to become your experiential heart experiences so how do we stay connected to Jesus in the faith community in a large church like Rexdale even with 300 400 people it's very difficult to be connected and one of the ways that you can connect to the community is through life groups Over Christmas time, we went to visit a a life group, and we were excited to be part of that group. We were tired, but yet we wanted to uh, uh, see what God is doing in the different life groups. So we went to this life group, and we were so blessed. Eight of the 15 members of that life group had joined that life group just in the last eight to ten months uh, uh, in, in 2014. But the sense of camaraderie, the sense of fellowship, the sense of sharing, the sense of laughter... And the tears that they had shed and the shoulder that they were lending to each other, we were just so amazed and our hearts were so filled that God is using various life groups to uh, provide that community, which otherwise would not be possible if you're already part of a life group. I would strongly encourage you to make a commitment that you will make life groups a priority. If you're not part of a life group and love to get connected to a life group, you can email Pastor Cheryl or myself and we will get you connected to a life group. And there's other ways that you can get connected. A few years ago, I was watching, uh, I was uh, listening to a testimony on a Saturday night, and this, this young man had a very unusual testimony uh, before he was baptized. Usually, you know, we hear testimony like, uh, oh, I went to church or I went to a retreat, uh, uh, I was touched by the sermon, or somebody mentored me, and I gave my life to Jesus. But this young man had a very unusual testimony. He said, I grew up in this church, I knew what the gospel was, I was sitting there, I was getting bored, I was just counting the number of... Uh, uh, pot lights in the sanctuary uh, and, but instead of just saying to my parents I don't want to go to church he said when there was an uh, announcement made that there were people looking for volunteers and helpers in the family ministries this 13, 14 year old young man said oh I can do that I will get connected I will become a, a helper in the family ministries so he said during the course of his testimony in getting connected uh, in, in serving Jesus in the family ministries Because now he had to teach, as they say, teaching is the best art of learning. So he needed to learn, and in so doing, he got connected to Jesus. And that, in a sense, was his testimony. 
It was not a preacher, it was not a mentor, but it was the opportunity to serve that brought him in connection with Jesus. And just this week I was talking to Melissa Locke, and she underscored for me the need for volunteers in family ministries. And she went on to say that family ministries is one of those ministries where the harvest is ripe. Now in that story, in John's Gospel 4th chapter, Jesus said, open your eyes and look. At the fields, the harvest is already ready. You know, brothers and sisters, no, in no place or in no field is the harvest as ready as it is in family ministries. If you look at any congregation, significant portion of the congregation can trace back to their initial connection with Jesus to the time when they were children and how they were impacted by somebody who poured into their life. And I can relate to someone like that. When I was in grade 7, a teacher took interest in me and showed a confidence in me. And that really was the, the pivotal point in my life. And I was really surprised on 25th of December just this year when that teacher phoned me from India after 45 years just to wish me a, a happy Christmas. The impact that we can have. And I'm not putting a guilt trip on you. If you feel called to be part of the children's ministry, the harvest is ready and ripe. All you need to do is volunteer your time, take your sickle, and God will enable you to uh, see the harvest. And not only it's the ministry involvement that gives you that connection, faithfulness in little things. A few years ago, I was invited to uh, celebrate, uh, invited for a celebration of the 75th anniversary of Missionary Health Institute. The Missionary Health Institute ministers to international workers who are going in Jesus' name to different parts of the world in providing them with medical help and uh, also uh, when they come back, giving them all sorts of uh, help that they would really need. And they were celebrating the 75th anniversary, and coinciding with the 75th anniversary of MHI was the 25th anniversary of the director of MHI, Dr. Ken Gamble. And unbeknown to him, they were uh, honoring him with a slight presentation. At the end of the presentation, Ken got up and uh, said a few words, and I could never forget those words. And he said something to the effect, you know, growing up in a small farming community in the prairies, helping my dad tilling the ground and getting the soil ready, planting the seed and making sure that the seed is, uh, the ground is irrigated. And we have to trust that God is going to bring forth the fruit. And using that experience that he had had with his father working on the field, he said, as I look back at the last 25 years of my involvement at MHI, all I can think of is the little things that I was faithful to God in And God took care of the rest. You get stayed connected to Jesus by being faithful in little things. Dear brothers and sisters, as I bring this sermon to a close, it just occurred to me that all our connections with Jesus are initiated by Jesus. None of them are initiated by us. Just take, look at the example of this Samaritan woman. Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Jesus chose to uh, uh, come at a pivotal point when the Samaritan woman was going to be coming. Although he was the bread of life and the fountain of living water, he felt the thirst at that precise time. 
And he initiated the interaction and engagement and conversation that connected the Samaritan woman to Jesus by asking the question, will you give me a drink? And Jesus is initiating this conversation with us today. Can we bow our heads and tell the Lord, maybe you've never made that commitment to Jesus. And you feel that tug in your heart. You feel that still small voice initiating and saying, I want to connect with you. Perhaps you have been connected with Jesus for 5 years, 10 years, 20 years. But somehow that connection between the vine and the branch got plugged. As a result, the branch is almost fruitless and on its last leg. Can we just take a couple of minutes in asking the Lord to shed his light on that branch and wine interface and where it is? There is a plug. Lord Jesus, we thank you that today you have initiated yet another conversation with us. And the fact that we are here, the fact that we are singing these songs, the fact that we are sitting with the individual that we are sitting beside is not a coincidence. But it is an incident that is birthed in the heart of God that is designed to connect us with our Savior. So we give our will, we bring our thoughts captive to you. And every resistance that we have, we break it down at the foot of the cross. And we we want you to connect us. We want you to reconnect us so that we might bring forth fruit. You have said every branch that does not bear fruit, I will cut it away. And we don't want to be cut away from the wine. We want you to prune us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Uh, What an amazing declaration. It's you I live for every day. And that is only possible if we do what the Samaritan woman did. She came to the well with a jug to get water. But when she met Jesus, she left her water pot and carried the well with her. So may you go carrying the well with you and leaving your water pot and may that well and that well will never dry. Go in Jesus' name.